John 14, 6, if we could put that on the screen. And then after that, we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, 2, just briefly as we kind of get started here. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but me. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, uh, well, uh, says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that it may grow you up in your salvation. Okay, so if you're one of those that takes naps between the beginning and the end of the sermon, um, here's the beginning and the end of the sermon, okay? All right, I want you to grow up in your salvation, okay? Enjoying the pure spiritual milk of God's word, okay? Like a newborn craves milk. And yes, we have a new grand baby in the family. Yes, her name, yes, yes. And she's doing great. Mama's doing great. So we appreciate all your prayers. Continue to pray. You know how the, those first few days are. But um, everybody's doing great. And she craves spiritual milk. That little granddaughter, she, she, prays, she, she loves it. Okay, that's good. She's eating great. All right, and that's how we should pursue God's word, which is in essence the way you would pursue him. So Milky Way is the, is the way of milk, okay? It's the path of milk. You'll never look at the stars the same, okay? Now, that will tie in a little bit more, but already we've heard two references that were unprepared, unplanned, to Psalm 34, Specifically, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see the Lord is good. And, and, we're, and Peter in chapter 3, which is where we are this week, is actually going to refer to Psalm 34. So this is just a reminder. God is working, okay, even in the putting together of what we do, even though, I wish we were that good, right? I wish we were really good and we were on that. But um, he's so good, we don't have to be because he's faithful. And so as we think about this and as you think about, well, what do I need to change in my life as I leave? I want you to think about how you respond to the way of milk. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we uh, prepare ourselves to hear from you, God, I pray that you would give us ears to see and eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is receptive to receive, believe, and, and obey the word of God the words that you gave us. You gave us all we need to do all that you've called us to do. So Lord, my prayer is that you'll help me get out of the way so that you can speak clearly so that we might respond courageously by faith. In Christ's name, amen. So if you haven't been around, we've been going through the book of First Peter, which is actually a letter written by Peter to Christians. And he wrote them to a specific group of Christians in a region that is today modern-day Turkey called Galatia. And he wrote to them because they were discouraged. Because they were living in a day and a time when Christians were persecuted, insulted, slandered, misunderstood, and, 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 and I think I said persecuted already. And that was happening all across the Roman Empire. We think it was happening a little worse in Galatia or it was about to. And of course, it was happening in Rome, which is where Peter was when he wrote the letter. So um, he sends the letter to encourage them to stay the course. Because like you and I, when people insult us or slander us or call us out for things that aren't actually clear thinking, but it's what they think we think, we have a temptation to defend ourselves and maybe even to retaliate. 
So I started looking up the word retaliate, and I Googled it, and I've learned a couple of things about retaliate. First of all, a lot of people don't know what the word means, okay? It's actually one of, a very common question asked online. So retaliate is to get someone back. It's what a two-year-old does to another two-year-old when they take their toy. You jerk the toy away, and the other two-year-old comes and jerks the toy back. Or if you get hit, and then you hit them back, and you say something ugly, and they come back with a retort. It's, re it's bringing back evil for evil. And so today's message is how to retaliate like Jesus, which obviously he isn't going to return evil for evil. But how does he respond when he maybe is tempted to? Because Jesus was tempted like we were, like we are. The Bible says he was tempted as we are, yet did not sin. So how in the world and how did he respond in such a way that he wasn't giving in to that temptation? That's part of today's message. Really, the heart of today's message is how do I bless those who want to come at me like that? Not just how do I not retaliate, which is the, the negative version of the golden rule, which is don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. No, the golden rule, according to Jesus, is do for others what you wish, what, do to others what, they, what you wish they would do to you. Treat them like you want to be treated. So, he, um, so he, he writes this section in particular to help carry this out. Now, this is kind of a, a if, if you were to summarize where we've been and where, to get where we are today, we would say this. We would say that in the beginning of, of 1 Peter, he very quickly goes to the gospel and he says that we have a living hope in this dying world that we're in. We have a living hope and he is the living hope, Jesus Christ. And he says, therefore, we are to live holy lives because we are to be like our father, chip off the old block, right? Um, carry the family name and, and live in a way that honors the one who um, has blessed us. So that living hope leads us to live holy. And then very much after that, it's go and do good things. Go live a good life in such a way that you are a blessing to others. And in the course of doing that, and we've seen this over the last several weeks, submit to the authorities that are in your life. And that, you know, we, we don't like to do that. We don't like to people telling us what to do, right? I'm an American, and I can, can do what I want, when I want, where I want, because I'm free, because that's not what freedom means. But that's what we think. And so, but Peter says God is an ultimate authority, and he has put authorities in our lives to submit to, and we are called to submit to them, even when those authorities are unjust, and in the course of that, there are going to be times when we actually suffer, even if we are doing good, not just suffer for doing evil, like if you, know, if you get a speeding ticket, you should suffer paying the fine. But sometimes we do the right thing and, you know, suffering comes and he's like, no, nope, stay, stay the course. So, so living hope that leads to holy living, that leads to doing good, which leads us to submit, reminds us to submit to the governing authorities and all the other authorities God's put in our life. And that causes strife in our life because we suffer and we're and a lot of times unjustly to stay to, to rest in that to embrace that with courage which means doing the right thing motivated by love even if you are afraid and then that leads to that leads to us giving us the ability to do that that submitting it leads to us to doing the thing he's going to call us to do today which is to return good for evil blessing those who curse us, doing the very thing none of us ever really want to do, 
and doing the opposite of what we impulsively want to do in the moment. Okay, so I'm going to walk us through this passage and help you see that. This is not just my idea. Um, Peter's, again, trying to encourage. And so God is encouraging you and I to do the same thing. So let's look at this together. So I'm starting in verse 8. Now, verse 8 could be a sermon all by itself. I won't make it that way. It's eight, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, it's five um, imperatives that Peter calls them to do. It's just a continuation of the doing good, being holy kind of theme. But he, he uses some very specific words. And he kind of says, like, in summary, finally, all of you, so, okay, all of who? All of the Christians who are reading these words, be like-minded. That would be being united. Now, be united under what matters? Who, what are we united under? Where, how, what are we united to? And we don't mean uniform, okay? Be who you are, but let's be united, like-minded, in the sense of what is it that we all think is most important, and let's be on the same page about that. So it's like-minded about Christ being front and center. So be unified, be sympathetic. If you break down the word sympathy, you get with passion. So imagine someone coming up to you and saying, would you pray for me? And then they just start, tears just start rolling down their cheeks. You're moved to want to pray for that person. You don't know what they're going through. You're not empathizing, but you're showing, you're, you're, you're finding it that you can show sympathy because you can tell this is really important to them. And that's something we should do. And that takes emotional energy, I guess you could say. That's one of those tanks on our little personal dashboards that we should be making sure stays full. And it sometimes takes us out when we don't keep it filled up that emotional tank, be sympathetic, love one another. This is more than a brotherly love. This is a familial love. And, and this is really hard if you didn't grow up in a good family or if you didn't grow up in a family that loves each other well and sticks by each other through thick and thin. But this is what the church is called to be. And we are sometimes better than others, but we are the family of God. And that means that even though we may not like each other sometimes, we love each other all the time and we, we are there for each other. And then he says, be compassionate. This is merciful, tender-hearted, receptive, similar to sympathy, but he clearly it's a different phrase. The word, oh, oh and the last one is, um, and be humble. The word for humble is actually used um, an old English word that was used to describe behavior in the court of the king. So, you, you know, the word is, another word would be courteous, which to me didn't make sense when I was reading this. Courteous, humble, I don't understand. But look at the word courteous and you see the word court, courteous, you could say. In other words, how do you behave in court before the king or queen? You humbly, you see it? And so that's what's kind of what he's getting at here. All right, so those are just five, and these aren't the only ones, but it's like he, he comes in and he says, I'm going to summarize being holy and being good by giving you some of these things, and he's saying it in the context of believers. This is how you should treat one another. Yes, this is how you should treat other people who aren't yet believers, but if we're not treating others this way, then when people see us together, they're not going to see what they want to See, they're not going to be drawn to that at all. They're not going to see Christ in us. So if we're not loving each other this way, there's a problem. But he continues, verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, which 
is my tendency anyway, especially on I-26, but it's on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Okay, and then he says why? Because of this, you were called. So we're called to be a blessing, and it doesn't say be a blessing when people are a blessing to you only, but to be a blessing, period. In fact, you could summarize the message of the Old Testament is blessed to be a blessing, which is what he's going to get at here. He's going to come, come at it backwards when he says, here's the other reason, so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, we know in Christ that we have a blessing coming. At least we're told that we are joint heirs with Christ himself. That means we share in the inheritance, the heavenly inheritance that we will receive, that he will receive. We share in it with him. We share in it with each other, and there will be no limit. Okay? And I know we don't really believe that or we have trouble comprehending that and so we don't really appreciate that like we should and should. I get that. I, I struggle with that myself. But it's coming for believers. It's something then the hereafter that we will enjoy in that ocean of eternity when we leave this drop of time. Okay? That's, that's something we have to look forward to. And he's saying when you and I bless people when they've uh, wronged us, we store a little more reward. We bank a little reward there, and there's no risk of losing it, and the return is a hundredfold, okay? And sometimes we get blessed here and now also. It doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes when someone does something wrong to you and you come back with blessing, there are times when you actually get a reaction that you're surprised, pleasantly surprised. More often, it's those who are outside watching, and they, they respond maybe even later to, to how you did that. Now we get into where Peter flips to... Um, Psalm 34. He uses some of the verses out of Psalm 34 when he starts in verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days, and who wouldn't want to love life and see good days, right? For those, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceited, uh, deceitful speech. So now he's coming at with some, he's just given us some positive things to do. Now he's giving us some negative things not to do. And that is, uh, don't speak deceitfully, don't speak um, uh, let's see, don't, uh, don't speak uh, from evil. And if you wanted more on this, you'd go to the book of James. And James has a lot to say about the tongue and the words that we say and how hard it is to tame and yet how important what we say is. And so maybe another way of saying this is if you want to be, if you want to sin less, talk less. I'll say that again. If you want to sin less, talk less. That's why the Bible says be quick to listen, slow to speak. Two ears, one mouth. There might be a little message there too. Verse 11, they must turn from evil and do good. Okay, This is a continuation of this idea, whoever would love life and see good days. They not only should watch what they say, but turn from evil and do good. So it's not just turn from evil and not do evil. Again, it's positive. It's turn from evil and do something good. Produce something valuable, productive, loving, gracious, kind, and all the other fruit of the Spirit. For the eyes of the Lord, oh, I'm sorry, and I don't want to miss this, they must seek peace and pursue it, okay? Jesus did this almost exclusively throughout his ministry, seeking peace and pursuing it. Prince of Peace is one of his names in Isaiah. Peace, shalom. It's, a, it's not just peace from conflict. It's peace at the core of who you are that says, I feel at peace in the midst of the storm, not just because there's no storm. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you're in storms right now. You feel it, 
emotionally, mentally, you know it cognitively, cognizantly, you, um, you are experiencing it circumstantially. Peace is possible in all circumstances. So I love to read stories of Christian pastors and lay people who've been arrested for their faith in places like China where the, the government will just lock you up for 10 years because you wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. And how they love the prison guards even when, they're, when they stick those electric cuting wands in their mouths and turn them on. And they, they, they still love the guard and pray for the guard. Because it, it inspires me and it helps me realize, first of all, I have no clue what Christians around the world are really going through because we have it so good and we are such the exception in all of history. I'm just out of touch. I, I realize that. And that's why it's important for us to read those stories and hear those things. But he's seeking peace. Okay. Blessed are the peacemakers is one of Jesus' first words in his manifesto. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the warmongers. And yes, there's a time to go to war. Yes, there's a time to fight, but they are the gross exceptions. Jesus came on a riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, symbolizing king coming in peace. But the next time he comes, he's coming on a charger. And I don't mean a Dodge charger. He is coming on a war horse because he will finish what he started. He started the battle on the cross and he will finish it when he comes back, whenever that is. Then he says this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Who are the righteous? Those who are right with God. Who are they? Those who have been declared right. Who are they? Those who have been justified, which is what declare right means. Well, who are they? Thank you. I just couldn't get it out. Thank you. Yes, people who know and love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians. Christians not in name, Christians in the way they live and believe. Okay, there's a lot of people calling themselves Christians and we're looking around scratching our heads going, that's not what I, that doesn't look like Jesus. That doesn't sound like Jesus. And, and so we just need to make sure that we are asking ourselves those same questions. Am I reflecting Jesus? Do I look and smell and sound like Jesus, right? That's hard to know sometimes. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. I mean, there's nothing more discouraging than praying and not believing that God's hearing it and not thinking God's believe, not believing God hears you. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You want to oppose God? Do evil. It's just really simple. I'm sorry? Is, are you okay? Are you okay? Right? Oppose evil. Years are tender to the prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Yeah. Then he says, now he breaks out of Psalm 34. And he, in verse 13, he continues, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And we'd like to think nobody, but he knows better. And that's why he says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now, why would they be fear fearful of their threats? Well, because they're, they're following Christ. They're living the life he calls them to live. We, that's what he's, he's talking about, these, these Christians he's writing to. He, and, and as a result of that, they're suffering under submission unjustly. That's, that's, that, can be a, that can be terrifying to find yourself um, having to do that. Okay? Imagine... Um, uh, you're, you're living in a country where they are crucifying Christians. They're hunting them down. 
and they are imprisoning them, and they're, I mean, you just go to Afghanistan, and you don't want to be a Christian in Afghanistan right now, because the Taliban will string you up, okay? And, and that's the authority over the, the nation of Afghanistan right now, and there are Christians living there, and they're afraid, they're at least tempted to be afraid. Now, they're still there, and some of them, in the midst of their fear, are doing everything Peter's saying to do right now. They're seeking to be a blessing to those around them. And, I don't, and when I say that that government is like that, that doesn't mean all the people are like that, right? It just means those in charge, those in power, they have the power to do those kinds of things that, that cause fear in those who disagree with them. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And then he says this, but in your heart to revere Christ as Lord. Honor, revere, honor. It, it, it is to bestow him the reverence that he is worthy of because he's holy, holy, holy. And he is our holy creator, who is all-powerful, all-good, and holy. And so we revere him as our ultimate authority. And when we don't, we do evil. When we resist our creator, we do evil. Okay? Because he's good. And, and to not be in step with good is to be out of step with good. And that is evil. Okay? And the Bible is giving us mercy and grace by pointing that out helping us see what is actually true. Now, this next couple of verses we've heard, some of us have heard these verses before, if nothing else, because I've said them a few times. Um, and he, but, but I think we've, we've missed some of the nuance here. But it, he says, um, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. Okay? Now think about that in the context of what we just talked about. Imagine being a Christian in the first century and you're being persecuted for your sin. You know, people are calling you, uh, they're calling you a cannibal because you celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, why would that come make me a cannibal? Because you're eating the flesh of Jesus when you eat bread and you're drinking the blood of Jesus when you drink the, the, the wine, which is not literally what's happening in my reading of Scripture. I realize there are Christians who believe that they, that happens and God bless them, I, I, I could be wrong. But because they would say those kinds of things, in fact, Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, again, I think symbolically, but because he said that and Christians followed that, they called them cannibals because they would have these love feasts when they would gather. They would, they would have a big meal, kind of like we did on Tuesday night here. And at the end of that meal, which we didn't do, they, had, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so they were called cannibals by people who just didn't understand. And so they were ridiculed and slandered and here's what, here's what Peter called him to do. Love those people back. Bless those people who are slandering you in public. Okay? In other words, and then when, when people see you do that, and they go, why are you doing that after they treated you that way? That's where this verse comes in. Be prepared to give an answer to that question. Can you give the answer for the hope that you have? Assuming you have that hope, can you give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have in Christ? Because if you can't, then I've got to ask yourself, I've got to ask you a question. Why not? Why not? 
So we're back to the Milky Way, right? The way of Jesus, who is the living word, who gave us the written word, he says the way is, to, is one who craves this, like a baby craves milk. You see it? Always be prepared to give an answer for, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. That's towards the person, but that's also towards the Lord. Okay? Remember, he just said, uh, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So this gentleness and respect is not just towards the person. But if you honor and respect the Lord, I think you will treat people better because God treasures people, all people, even those who curse him, okay? Because they're made in the image of God. I'm not going to say he treats us all the same because in the end, he will not. There is a judgment and we will all stand before him and answer for how we responded to what we knew and what we did with Jesus. Verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. This reminds me of chapter 2, verse 12. We've seen this as one of the key swing verses in the book. Lives as such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's the way we're called to live in such, such good that they're like, why are you doing that? It's almost like they, 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 without even thinking, they just ask the question, why are you doing that? Has anybody asked you that lately? Has anybody asked you, why are you doing that? And the reason you're doing that is because of Christ in you? That should be happening to us, right? I mean, maybe not often, but it certainly, it certainly should provoke the question, at least in the hearts and minds of people who are watching you and I live. It's good that we come here and that we sing our songs and that we, we, we say our, our prayers and we, we acknowledge the scriptures that are true. But if we're not living it out there, then we're not doing the main thing. We're just kind of being you know, secret agent Christians and that's not what Christianity is about. It is not a private faith. It's a personal faith. It is not a private faith. It's a public faith. It's a 24-7 faith. Because otherwise you're being, you're, you're play acting. And there's a word for that called hypocrite. And I don't believe that genuine Christians are generally hypocrites, but I do think sometimes we are hypocritical in the things that we do. We're inconsistent is what I'm saying. And, and so I do think there's a difference between somebody who is just a, a raging hypocrite. They, they are pretending to be somebody they're not all the time. And somebody who sometimes does things that are inconsistent in their faith. Okay. So when you're trying to evaluate who, which year you are, you know, be kind to yourself. <laughs> Don't beat yourself up for something you're not guilty of. But at the same time, be honest. All right, so then he says this, uh, just kind of, it, it really concludes this strongly, okay? So, uh, oh, and I want to show you another verse. Uh, Matthew 11, um, Matthew 5, 11, and then I'm going to do the James one. I did them, I'm doing them the other way. James, uh, sorry, Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says this. And this is going with the verse that talks about um, where he says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their, their, um, their actions. He says, blessed are you when people insult you. Jesus says this right off the bat, all right? And, and, Blessed are you when people insult you. That, it's like, whoa, I can't, I can't hear any more of this verse. I can't get past that. 
But Jesus is saying, this, is, this should be true of my followers. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. In other words, if you are living like Jesus and people slander you and persecute you and, and that, all that, he says, you are blessed, okay? Now, you won't feel blessed maybe at the moment, but let, him, let me let him finish. Then he says, rejoice. It's crazy, right? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, something that's coming in the future, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you're, you're in good company. The prophets were treated, Old Testament prophets that we read about in the first two-thirds of our Bible, they were treated that way. And they were faithful, and they didn't even know the name of Jesus. They just knew someone's coming that's going to make everything right. Somebody's going to come and vindicate us one day. And, and so Peter's saying, or here Jesus is saying, consider that that's a blessing. And the other verse is James um, James 1, I've said it many times, 2 through 4. Uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers, uh, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the test, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete. Remember our Milky Way illustration? I want you to leave here growing in your salvation. I want you to leave here growing in maturity and completion and peace in Christ. That's the fruit. That's the good stuff. Better than a Milky Way, okay? It's really good stuff, right? I mean, to be able to walk out of here and feel, say, I am not where I need to be, but I am walking in the right direction. It is not how far from Christ I am, but which way I'm heading, towards or away from Christ, that matters. Maturing in my, in my devotion to him and in my actions that are consistent with what he calls me to do and be and say, that's what matters. And then he ends with this, verse 18, and this is really for next week, but to me, it's important that we hear it today. For Christ also suffered once for sins, that's the cross, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's the rest of us, to bring you to God. There's the reason. There's the reason, to bring us to God. So why in the world is Jesus and James and Peter and Paul and everybody else calling, I could have said Mary, right? All of them calling us to suffer under authority that is treating us unjustly and to return good for evil and to bless those who persecute. Why in the world would I live that way? To bring people to God. That's the point. So how does Jesus retaliate? If I want to retaliate like Jesus, that means I'm going to respond in such a way that brings people to God through my actions, not just my words. Words matter. But my actions are going to speak louder. And when my words and my actions are consistent, that is a potent combination. And that's what he calls us to. And say, well, you don't understand my circumstance and what I'm, being un what I'm under. You don't understand. No, I don't know your situation, but God does. And God's word is consistently thorough. I haven't found any exceptions. We are called to suffer under unjust circumstances as Christians sometimes. To bring people to God. And we'll pay for it here and we'll reap the rewards later. And you just have to decide whether or not you believe delayed gratification is 
is worth it and that the rewards far outweigh this here and now? Because he says, I mean, he's already told us that, the, that we do this, if I can find it, um, blessed because this is what you were called for, called to. You and I are called to bless when we are persecuted and that we will inherit a blessing. The same blessing that the Lord Jesus himself is getting, we're sharing in that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these words of, um, of clear direction. It's really hard for us to walk away today and not know what to do. But Lord, it is probably um, easy for us to, th to ask the question, how do I do that? How do I do that consistently? Lord, I pray that you would help us realize that it's a combination of, of faith in your word and your spirit with your people that makes us like your son, that able to live this way consistently. The son who endured all the persecution and slander that anyone ever could endure, ultimate shame on a cross for the sins of the world. And you are faithful. And I just thank you, Lord, that even though I'm not faithful, you're faithful to me. I don't deserve it, but I need it. And so, so Lord, I pray that today you would help, the, help folks in here realize that none of us deserve your mercy and your grace, but it's available. And there's nobody more trustworthy than you, Lord, but we still have to decide to trust you. We still have to decide if we're going to submit to you, if we're going to voluntarily, gladly submit to a loving and great creator God like you. I pray we would. I thank you that you're a gentleman and that you don't force us. But I also thank you that you draw us and encourage us in our working in our hearts and minds so that we can do that. And that's not just that first time salvation. That's a daily walk with you to submit and to not retaliate and to love when we are slandered and persecuted. And I pray you'll just give us the ability to do that, the desire to want to do that, and the hunger for your word that will ultimately fuel our faith to accomplish that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.